You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning, hon. It's time for Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. It's the beginning of the week. We're back on the track of a very surprisingly interesting and complex hymn of praise. Well, it's good to be here this morning. I do enjoy chasing the word with you and finding where God is going to take us in our discussion. It's interesting to me that we've had two different takes on it as we read through these seven verses. Mm -hmm. And I think today's even going to take a different turn. Some of the things that you've been mulling over in your mind about what some of these actual phrases mean not just for the pilgrims who were singing these psalms, but for us now in in our lives and how we can chase the Word to find where God is leading us through the Holy Scriptures. In some ways, it's like having empathy for our ancestors, because we are trying to put ourselves in the shoes of those who walk these paths Mm. and to try to get inside the skin of those to whom it was spoken, who sang it back to God in their worship services, who traveled those roads. How did they meet God when they finally got to the temple? What was it like? You know, those kind of things, I think, can be traveled through by the Spirit inspiring us as we read these things, but also by imagining ourselves in the shoes of those who went before us. Yeah. For me, it's been a great lesson in reading the context of the whole Scripture. Who were these people? What were they doing? Why were they doing what they're doing? And seeing historically where it fit into the narrative of the children of Israel, of the Hebrew people, as they sojourned through the desert, as they traveled on their pilgrimage for festivals up to the temple, and what these scriptures meant for them. Now, like you've said before many times, the scripture wasn't written to us. Mm But it was written for our benefit. It is for the benefit of those who read it and who study it and who take it to heart, who ask God what he wants them to know through the reading of Scripture. Our parents, our grandparents, listened to music, pop music back in the 50s or 60s maybe, or even swing and jazz back from the 30s and 40s. That was their music. So to them, when they jump into a song, it doesn't just sound familiar. It brings back a wave right. of memory and nostalgia, putting you back in the moment what it was like to be that person at that time in history. And also it was the soundtrack of all the great events of history that we read about. Mm-hmm. This is what this is. Right. We're looking back yeah. at the pop music of you know <laughs> well, a thousand years BC. When we get into that kind of frame of mind that we are really looking over the horizon here. When we just read the words and expect them to be literally God speaking to us right now, we forget that God had a whole relationship with this song too yeah. thousands of years ago before we ever entered the scene. So we can give God a little latitude here to speak to us and help us to understand a bit what it was like to be that person back then and why he inspired the poets Mm -hmm. and the prophets to write these things, but not to expect us to, on first read, say, oh, I got it. I know these words. I can even memorize these seven verses. It wouldn't take very long. And have no idea what it was like to actually be that person singing that song at that time. Well, we think of a journey as hopping in our car Mm -hmm. or jumping on an airplane and going somewhere. We don't think of our journey or pilgrimage like these people did when they were doing the journey. They were walking. They were on foot. Now, we have the Appalachia Trail, the Pacific Rim Trail, you know, all of these trails throughout the United States. And some even go on pilgrimage in the Camino Santiago. Yeah, Spain and Portugal. Yeah. Those are walking tours. People that do that kind of thing maybe understand on a different level what this is like. Trekking is something which has a long distance objective in mind. Right. So when they talk about traveling, they talk about traveling at the speed of life. 
Yeah. You actually see people living their lives or talk to them along the way, and it has a whole different experience, yeah. literally a different experience of running into people where the topography and the geography you're traveling through is measured by the lives you meet, not the steps you take even. But you sense the whole spirit of the place. You literally smell the ground as you yeah. travel. There's something that gets into you deeply. And you talk about traveling overseas where you've got to adjust quickly to do some of the work you do through your partner ministry teams that minister to people who are in third culture situations. Mm -hmm. When you get there, they say, just take your shoes off and walk on the grass. Yeah. Get there and let your body literally sense the warmth and the time of day where you are so you can adjust and get over your jet lag as quick as possible. Yeah. Because there's so much to do in the next week. You don't have time to just settle in and relax and let your body reset the long way. Right. You got to do it quick. So that's our modern culture, right? Our modern society, our modern technology demand different things of us. Mm -hmm. Remember that when you're reading about what the ancient peoples with ancient expectations and ancient challenges and processes went through. Yeah. Yeah. So we thing. jump into this again one last time. Psalm 120. We're going to read now in a couple of different translations that we have not used in the series so far. I'm going to read from the message this morning. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. Deliver me from the liars, God. They smile so sweetly, but lie through their teeth. Do you know what's next? Can you see what's coming, all you bold-faced liars? Pointed arrows and burning coals will be your reward. I'm doomed to live in Meshach, cursed with a home in Kedar. My whole life lived camping among quarreling neighbors. I'm all for peace, but the minute I tell them so, they go to war. I don't know about you, but this sounds like a literal hell to me mm -hmm. <laughs> to live in camping for my whole life. I'm not a camper. <laughs> well, we all know that I'm not a camper. We're practically camping now because we're in the process of building a house. Right. So we're house sitting. So in that situation, we kind of have a little touch of what it's like to be not I, where we're yeah, headed. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I am not about camping. I mean, many people love it and our kids love it. You love it even. I'm, I'm not a fan of it. To me, reading in verses five through seven, I'm doomed to live camping forever. Sounds like a horrible place to me. But there are some things about this that we need to know mm -hmm. that are not just about camping. The specific people groups that are talked about here were historically barbarous people. They were very warring and they were fighting tribal battles constantly. And they were nomadic kind of people traveling around, fighting each other and other people. And these were both in the north and the south of the Holy Land. Reaching north and east and reaching east and south. Beyond the the traditional lands that were actually deeded to them by Moses. The peoples they're talking about, they're not referring to them all that kindly in this psalm. Mm -hmm. Kind of almost a fairy tale simplification of the culture. You say that the northern tribes, the Meshach, is known for being warring and dangerous and vicious people. And out in Qadar, it was known for being literally dry as sand. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is sand. The whole area out the eastern part of Syria into southwestern Iraq and going around the east side of Jordan, down toward the Arabian and Red Seas beyond them, that is about as dry as you can get on this planet, mm -hmm. even drier than the Sahara. Mm -hmm. Those areas, it would be like when you conjure up that image, you would say, oh, this is the driest of the dry. Look to the north, and Meshach is the most vicious of the vicious. These kind of archetypes, these images are the things that this psalmist is saying are the extremes of those types. And I am a prisoner of these things. I've been doomed as an exile, says another translation I'll read in a second. So imagine now that you are a modern Jew in Israel, and you've been hearing the stories of the exile, the diaspora of Israel across the centuries, 
and then the Holocaust, and then the opportunity to come back to the Holy Land and reclaim your rightful place on the planet, that you're now back to the promised land, and your attitude is, this is it. We finally made it. All of our past histories, as far as our family memory goes, we have been exiles in literally Meshach, mm. which would be like the greater Russian sphere of influence. So many of the exiles coming back to modern Israel came from Russia. And so many of the Jews throughout the rest of the Holy Land ended up gravitating back towards and relocating, leaving places like Amman, Jordan, and Baghdad, Iraq, coming back to the Israel that they were able to recapture in 1948 and started over. But they felt like they were reaching forward to something. So if you think about the modern Israelis looking at this scripture, their understanding of how they fit into it would be very different Mm, than the ones back to whom it was written. Which tells you even within Israel, who understand themselves to be the chosen people, can be very different in their perspective on the same scripture, simply because they're separated by so much time. Mm -hmm. Now imagine us being completely outside that sphere of identity. I don't see myself as being an Israeli or a Jew, because I don't know there's that much blood in me or history that would qualify me to be part of that. I just see myself in and under and through Jesus understanding some of this, because he's made me grafted into this vine. Mm -hmm. I understand that kind of imagery, that scripture. I don't know how literally it works that God makes me part of Israel, but somehow he does. So I take that as a given, a mystery that God has made me part of this story somehow. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I think you're right. We have been grafted in, and and the Apostle Paul talks about that. We've been grafted into the body. We are now heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We're sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. We are grafted in because of our decision to follow Christ. Not that these scriptures apply to us in a sense that we are journeying or pilgriming to Jerusalem for festivals, but we are on a journey. We are in life walking through things that are difficult. We do walk through these deep, dark places in the jungle. We walk through deserts in our lives. We walk through mountaintop experiences. We just experience these things through our lives. So we can look at Psalms like this and say, this is my journey. I'm Mm -hmm. journeying through this desert place and it feels like I'm stuck here. I'm destined (laughs) here to be stuck in this place. And it feels so disappointing and discouraging. I think we've all, as believers, experienced that. And if you haven't, you will, because there are many times in our lives that we go through dark places or just dry places. I think about times in my own life when I have struggled to hear from God, when I've wanted desperately to have just something that I can hold on to, just a drop of water that would quench this dryness in me. And it felt like God was just silent. Or it felt like I was stuck in this desert place. So as we read through this, for me, I go back to those times and remember. It's just a vivid picture of me when I felt like I was journeying through a very dry place. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry, these are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time business hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. 
And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. I felt like I was stuck in this desert place. So as we read through this, for me, I go back to those times and remember, it's just a vivid picture of me when I felt like I was journeying through a very dry place. You talked in our conversation before about journeying from death to life. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I see it, just that this journey of this feeling of death in me and on me and around me, and then walking through to a place of life and a place of abundance, just knowing that God is with me. Yeah. And even feeling like that in the desert place, making that conscious decision, God is with me. Yeah, he's real. Yeah. yeah. High and sweet and high places always comes mm-hmm. to mind when I think about that. Little Miss Much Afraid is struggling to even believe it's possible to take a step, much less reach the high places. Mm-hmm. In fact, every time mm-hmm. she stops to think about it throughout the entire book, she keeps doubting. Mm-hmm. In fact, that seems to be her default setting all the way to the top of the mountain. It never stops. And yet she keeps going. Mm-hmm. And when she finally gets there, it's the transformation that she finally goes through, which dispenses with the doubt being the anchor of her soul and replaces it with joy and gladness. And her name becomes Grace and Glory. Mm-hmm. These songs of ascent are for the ascending and for the journeying. They're not for the having done it, right. completion, looking back. It is about the going. Right. So if we're going to look forward again from those thousands of years ago to the time that we're in, I do want to see ourselves in this psalm, and I do want to consider ourselves, if God was speaking this to us, what would it mean now? Mm -hmm. Yet I don't believe that God is speaking it to us in those words, but he is speaking to Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So I would say, as God is speaking to us by his Holy Spirit, we go back and look at how he spoke to those folks at their time, Mm -hmm. and we say, God, what do you have for me in this? And that would be informative. It would inform our souls directly now. For my time, in my place, what does it mean for now? It's not the only understanding that will ever come from the Scripture. In fact, Scripture is supposed to be an unveiling constantly. Mm -hmm. More and more understanding, further in and farther up, as C.S. Lewis would say. Mm -hmm. There's more to be learned every time a generation looks at these Scriptures. Well, just the fact that these Scriptures, these Psalms were sung every time they pilgrimed to the city says to me, there is something to be learned Every time we walk through these kind of journeys in our own lives. Which is what many of the disciplines of the spiritual mystics of the Christian Mm -hmm. faith across the centuries have Mm -hmm. discovered. You start somewhere. The Mm -hmm. daily practices walk you through, and every time you ask God, show me something from this word. It may be a repeat, a refrain that comes back to you, and you're singing the song the same way, but sometimes the song comes alive to you in ways you never expected Mm -hmm. because your perspective, your position has changed, Mm -hmm. and suddenly you're looking at a different angle. It's like walking out of the temple, and then someone challenges you to turn around and look up. And you've never thought about turning around looking back at the place from which you've come. Right. And suddenly you see the glory of the temple. You know, those are all images we can understand. If we just turn around once in a while, we'll see something perhaps glorious, or we'll Mm -hmm. see something that's meaningful, or that changes everything about what we thought we knew. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't just add to it, it transforms it. Yeah. Let me read another uh, translation of this. It's from the NCB. A Song of Ascents, and the title they've used for this is A Complaint Against Treacherous Tongues. Whenever I am in distress, I cry out to the Lord, and he answers me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he inflict upon you, and what more will he add to it, O deceitful tongue? He has prepared a warrior's sharp arrows and red-hot coals of the broom tree. 
Why have I been doomed as an exile in Meshach and forced to dwell among the tents of Kedar? Far too long I have lived among people who despise peace. When I proclaim peace, they shout for war. The turn of phrase there at the end, far too long have I lived among people who despise peace. Mm -hmm. The world has become a really small place in this past generation. Mm -hmm. We hear and see things from the far sides of the globe. At any moment of any hour of the day, we can see what's happening in the world, or at least through the eyes of those who have a camera aimed at it. Mm -hmm. There's not much that really can be hidden, and yet we are surprised sometimes by how much disinformation or government shutting down communication channels can radically change our view from something to nothing. Right. And we assume that, therefore, there's nothing going on there. I think about Christians who are in Manipur, India right now, who are friends at Bibles for the World, are begging the Christian church around the world to not forget them in their hour of distress. Mm -hmm. A mission-sending organization who prints more Bibles in the world in more languages than pretty much anybody else does. It's an incredible Word Testament ministry from the northeast part of India. Its presence here in the States as Bibles for the World. They're being persecuted and killed and run out of their villages by mobs of people in the cities who don't want to see Christians in their midst anymore. Mm -hmm. And yet, even while they're being persecuted and chased out of their homes, their mission continues. And John Podiatis has been back and forth a number of times and has coordinated Bible missions, supplying those people who are out there right now in countries around the world with the Bibles they promised to provide for them, mm -hmm. even in the midst of their persecution. Yeah. If we don't recognize that and pay attention, we'll completely misunderstand how intense and how immediate is the need to be part of God's movement in this generation, this century. But it would be easy to ignore that because I haven't seen a whole lot of things from India in my newsfeed. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Modi government is doing a pretty good job of shutting down anything coming out of the country. you got to really dig to find out what's happening there. That's just one example. We assume we see the world for what it is now, and that nothing's hidden from us. Mm-hmm. And yet, a lot of things can be hidden. But the bigger point for me is, what of the things we do see, do we perceive? What I seem to perceive from most of the news I see around the world is that the world is getting more and more violent. Mm -hmm. It may or may not be true. It may be that the generation before us was just as violent, but the news wasn't getting out. I don't know. But it seems like, even in our culture, that anger and animus is increasing. That there is a tolerance now and an encouragement of mocking. Mm -hmm. of peoples. There is an encouragement of anger and animus in the church towards others. Mm -hmm. And leaving it at that, saying we have a right to be angry. And so much so that our politics have become as angry and bitter and as ugly and as rude as pretty much the church will tolerate. Mm -hmm. And right now the church seems to be tolerating an awful lot of that. It seems like we've numbed ourselves to actual humanity, things that are really happening in the world. If I flip myself back into the position of a modern Israeli looking at the Holy Land, when they read something like, why have I been doomed as an exile of Meshach and forced to dwell in the tents of Kedar? They're feeling a new liberation to be free in their own country now in this generation. I don't know if they were doomed to live in exile, but it feels like that. Mm -hmm. you know, and certainly for many generations, they couldn't get back to the Holy Land. It would have been a death sentence to their culture. But there's also other cultures now that are feeling the death sentence of being displaced. Mm -hmm. In fact, people very, very close to people of modern Israel, very close, are not just displaced, but feeling this scripture mm -hmm. in the first person, mm -hmm. in the first minute 
They're right there in the middle of it right now. Mm -hmm. And our churches in general in America don't want to give a lot of credit to those who are suffering. Just don't. Mm -hmm. Our politics leans towards the other being vicious against us, perceiving them as being somehow less than civil. Therefore, we have the right to be uncivil to them. Mm -hmm. And that troubles me deeply. So if I was reading the scripture to this generation as if God was saying it just to us, that's where I'd be hanging out because I see that in the world around me. Yeah, yeah. We have a huge culture of displaced and misplaced people in the world. And there is, across the globe, millions of people who are literally unhoused and living in exile. We have a whole population of Ukrainians that have been displaced within their own country and also outside of their country refugees. We have Syrians that have been misplaced and displaced. We have Sudanese people. We have Palestinians. We have Israelis. We have all groups of people, Afghans, that are out of their home of origin, that are displaced and misplaced, living in Meshach. Yeah. living in the tents of Kedar, that are in a doomed place in exile. Places that are hostile to them or indifferent to them. Yeah. And so we can pick a culture and yeah. read the scripture and say, this is who God is speaking yeah. to. How does it read to you? Those who are displaced, those of us even in our own country here in the United States that feel displaced, yeah. we have many people that are unhoused in the United States yeah. that are living in tents, literally. and living on the streets, living in their cars, whatever, that are in distress and feel maybe doomed. And we know of several ministries here in the U.S. that meet with these people and try to provide for their needs. And they are dear, dear people that are working hard to help people in distress. Because I'm not in that situation, maybe I am numb to it in some ways. Mm. But if I look at humanity... Look in the eyes of those people who are doomed to these tents, doomed to live in these places, feel despair and discouraged. I can't help but mourn for them. And not in a way of feeling sorry for them, but in a way that I want to do something to lift them up so that they can ascend to the temple of God. They can sing the songs with us. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at a very big worldwide picture. And of course, the question begs itself, mm. what can one person do? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we all start. In every generation, we're stuck with that question. Well, what can I do? Yeah. And therefore, just dismiss the right. question, yeah. which goes back to the whole story of the Samaritan. You know, there's three people that walked by and they all probably felt exactly the same thing. No matter what their privilege was, no matter how wealthy they were, they looked at the guy in the gutter and had no idea what his reason for being there was. And just walked by saying, what can I do? Or what should I do? Or I'm not touching that. Mm -hmm. Whatever their reasons were for moving on, Jesus says their reasons to not to do are irrelevant. There's still a guy suffering in the ditch. Who saw that? Mm -hmm. Well, the guy that you hate. And he tells them the story about the Samaritan, somebody they looked down on big time mm-hmm. in ancient Israel and even today, because guess where the West Bank is in the Holy Land? It's the areas of Samaria. Mm-hmm. So the people that are currently living in Samaria are treated today very much like the ancient Samarians were in Jesus' time. Mm. So when Jesus tells that story of a Samaritan, he's telling you the story of some kid who is a young salesman in Janine who finds an Israeli in the gutter Mm. on this very road we're talking about from this psalm and gives every last penny he has to make sure that that guy survives. 
There are plenty of distressed and displaced people right now that are throwing themselves over others to be the last line of defense right now. I think of grandmothers in kibbutzes across the south of Israel. I think of grandmothers in Gaza who went through one Nakba in 1948 and are going through another one now, literally shielding their grandchildren. Our challenge to you, friends, is not turn your face away from suffering and let God show you what suffering is, because it is bigger than the politics. It's bigger than the grievances. It's bigger than the narrative that we're fed all of our lives about who's right and who's wrong. Suffering is where people are seen by God Mm. and are experiencing separation, some deprivation, some injustice. We have to see things the way God sees them if we're ever going to see, period. And so that is our challenge. I do believe that this scripture, this song of ascent, hints at it in the last couple of verses. In every generation, what is it like to be in exile? What's it like to be displaced? Why do we long so much for something better? Mm -hmm. Because God put that in our hearts. Mm -hmm. So every other person on the planet has the same seed in them. And that's where we got to end our Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word for today. That's Psalm 120. All three of the segments of this particular psalm study is on our website, including study guide notes. We'd love to have you grab a copy of that for your Bible study and time spent in contemplation. We'll see you tomorrow for the next Compassion Radio. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.